Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammed seyyidel evvelin ve al-akhirin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Rabbi şrahi sadri ve sirri emri ve hil uqaletan min lisani yatfalu qavli. Esselamu alaikum everybody. Yeah. Praise Allah subhanahu ta'ala. We send abundant peace and blessings upon our beloved Prophet Muhammed. Uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon his family, his companions and those who follow them until the end. So we'll move on inshallah then to um, the 49th chapter of the Quran. Um, Surah Al-Hujurat and the word the word Hujurat is a, uh, a plural uh, from Hujra. Hujra means an apartment like a small room and if you've ever been to uh, the Prophet's Masjid Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam right next to the Rawda you'll see like these curtains uh, where his his blessed grave is in that area uh, if if I ever go with you I'm not going to go as long as the Saudis inshallah are in power I made my Umrah and my Hajj. Um, I just don't feel like giving money to people that are destroying Yemen uh, and other things. Um, but if you were to look at the back, and maybe I'll show you, those of you that go on Umrah this year uh, with ICNYU, you'll see these little green kind of lines on top of poles. And that is to demarcate where the actual houses of the Prophet's wives ended. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Hujurat of um, the Prophet's wives, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this chapter is called Al-Hujurat. Uh, most of the names of the chapters were given by the Sahaba. And we talked about this when we talked about Surah Al-Fatiha. <coughs> For example, Surah Al-Fatiha has more like 22 names. And we noted that even sometimes a Sahabi will have more than one name for a chapter. Uh, which meant that there was like a personal relationship, there was like an intimacy between the Qur'an and the reciter. So we ask you guys, you know, what would your name for Surah Al-Fatiha be? And that's the type of relationship like we want to be able to have with these chapters. Another name um, that was given <coughs> to this chapter is called Surah Al-Adab, the chapter of etiquette. So if Surah Al-Fatiha teaches us how to have a relationship with faith, have a relationship with, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and issues of faith, this chapter teaches us how to have a relationship with our community and with each other. That's extremely important. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked, what are the two components, the two key components to reaching paradise? He mentioned relationship with Allah and relationship with people. Taqwallah wa husnul khuluq. Right? Being mindful and dutiful to God and treating people well. One of the scholars said, Taqwa is your excellence to God, right? Like being um, astute and observant of your relationship with Him. And with people, the taqwa to people is good character. Right? Treating people well treating them honestly. And we know that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, The Prophet said that the closest of you to me in the hereafter will be those who have good character. This chapter actually says, O you who believe, five times. It's a very short chapter, right? Roughly around two, two and a third pages. And five times it says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu. O you who believe. 
there are some reasons for that. Number one, to say that the contents of this chapter, right, the constitution of this chapter, is something that the believer should aspire for. Something that a believer should find in their lives. Number two, and this is really beautiful, is if you've ever read the chapter called Luqman, Sheikh Fayyaz, he has a really, really nice explanation of Shulth Luqman that he did. You'll see that Luqman, when he talks to his son, Ya Bunaya, Ya Bunaya, Ya Bunaya la tushik billah, Ya Bunaya aqim salah, Oh my son, oh my son. Um, and this is called Nida, or the, the calling of Lutf, meaning like merciful. Right? Oh my son, oh my son, right? So Arazi, he says that this is an example of Allah's concern for the believers. Oh believers, listen to this. Oh believers, pay attention to this. So we learn something here that perhaps in contradiction to what we've learned growing up, it's a lot of Muslims that have post-traumatic stress religious syndrome now. Like it's, it's really messed up, you know. When you find people that have either been exposed to irresponsible liberalism and then they find out like, wow, I didn't know I could do that stuff, or what's more common is people that have just been like relig religiously abused, man. Or made to like question their value with their, with their, as far as their relationship with Allah goes. The Prophet said, Bashiru Wuratunafiru. The Prophet said, like, man, inspire people, don't destroy people. In another narration, he says, Sakinu. It really means like bring tranquility to people from Sakina. It, it's, it's the sign, as one of my teachers used to tell me, when I first started training in Azhar as a mufti, uh, my first day on the job, man, I made an absolute fool out of myself. It's like residency or something, maybe, for people. I was super nervous. Um, my Arabi was like strong, but I, my Egyptian kanat mushqawi awiyan. My Egyptian wasn't very good. So I uh, sit in the masjid, and this young lady walks in. She's dressed like she's uber-religious, man. Um, so immediately, that's the mistake I made, is like judging someone by how they're dressed. So it's like, first mistake. And then the second was like, he's like, okay, I, you know, listen to her questions. So she was like, you know, I got a friend, and my friend like messed up with this dude, and like, you know, like, I don't know, but like, and then I was like, Ada, Egyptian, I was like, what? You know? And then I said to her, I put my ego all into it. Uh, I said to her, you know, like, you know, like, you're a bad person, man. Like, what'd you do? I started going in on her, right? And then the sheikh, he said to me, stop. He was from Mansoura. People in Mansoura are very funny people. Stop. So I stopped. And then he came and he was like, it's like, you know, like what the Celtics are doing to the Cavs, and I just like step to the side, you know, just get out the way, just just let the real, let the boss step in. So he like embarrassed me in front of this girl, man. And he said to me something I'll never forget. He says, "Today your first day here." Hmm. I said, "Dang, man." I said, "Yeah." I said, "My first day." He said, "That's how all you guys act, man. All you guys act like this. You come from the college and you got all that book knowledge, but you don't really understand how to how to build people, right? How to give people hope." Right? So then he sat with her and he asked her, like, were you raped? Are you part of the sexually trafficking situation? Like, I was shocked. Like, man, Sheikh, like, this dude's from Mansoura, but he has, like, really profound understanding of the situation. And it was, you know, kind of discovered that she had been sexually assaulted. Um, 
but she was blaming herself as a victim, which victims often do. And then the sheikh like talked with her, and then she was like started crying, and she said, you know, I feel like I made zina. And then the sheikh was like, no, that's not what you did. It was just go back to Allah. And then if you need me to arrange for you like any type of medical um, examination, psychological help. Like, he's an amazing person, actually. I learned a lot from him. And then she left, and then he said to me, he was like, you know, the books that you read and the lines that you look on the internet, those are cold and blue. But the people that come in here, the lines that run in them are warm and red. He's like, you got to learn how to deal with people, man, or you're just going to screw up a lot of people's lives. Like, basically, he told me this. He's like, you know, the, the answer you gave is like a destructive answer. And he, and he explained to me, like, it's very easy for people to get mad and destroy people in the name of religion because usually they're too stupid to unpack the situation or they're too uh, impatient to unpack the situation. So what we do instead of teaching our children is we spank our kids. What we do instead of like sitting down and trying to unpack wisdom in our relationship with our spouses, we just react emotionally. So the sheikh taught me something that's very profound and it, it, it touches like every aspect of our life, right? Like number one, seek to inspire even in the face of mistakes. Number two is like be patient, like be patient with people. But most importantly, be patient with yourself and don't make people the object of your projections. Right? You're angry at the world, so you a lot of people do that with religion. But here we see something in the 49th chapter of the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cares about you, man. And how many times have we heard that? One time I was giving a lecture, I was like, Allah cares about you. This brother started crying, dude. Brother started crying. And he had a giant's jersey on. Should be crying for a lot of other reasons. And then I said, Man, like I said, brother, like, you're the last person I thought would cry. He said, brother, I never heard that Allah cares about me, man. Like, I never heard that before. Right? So here we see something very profound in Surah Al-Hujurat. It's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is gently saying to you, like, oh, believer, pay attention to me. Oh, believer, this is good for you. Right? The other reason is that, is to tell us this is very important. Like, Character is central to our faith. So if he said, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, O believers, right? And then he's talking about character. Maybe someone thinks that, oh, you know what? It's just good. I just pray, I fast, but I'm a troll. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got my deen on point. I, I, I went to like all these weekend courses. I like, studied with a sheikh, and like I'm a marid of a sheikh. And, like, I'm studying, but like I'm an absolute jerk, right? So what? Quran is reminding us is that just as we have to emphasize the theological components of faith that we talked about in Surah Al-Fatiha, we have to calibrate that into practical treatment of people. That's very important. Imam Malik mentions something very profound in, uh, in the Muatta that Sayyidina Isa was walking by a group of pigs with his students. And he said to the pigs, "Assalamu alaikum." And then his uh, his followers were like, "Dang, dude, salam to al khanazir. You gave salam to khanazir. You gave salam to pigs." And he said, "Hakada." He said, "Yeah, so that I could always like accustom myself to be good to everything around me." What would Sayyidina Isa say to those of us who abuse like a believer with our tongue, or abuse someone? whether believer or not, with our actions. This is a person that's conditioned himself even to say salam to pigs, man. 
right? So having good character is, character is central to it, you know. There's a few questions about character, though. Number one is some people, unfortunately, they tell people, like, this is how you're born, man. Like, either you got it or you don't. It's like a, you know, 36-inch vertical. Either you were born with it or it's just not there. Um, and it's interesting when we read, like, classical um, Islamic uh, theologians and others, they actually put the idea of good character under what's called an iktisabat, those things that you can acquire. Those things that Allah will ask us about. So they consider good character, there's a possibility to learn it and acquire it. And that's why the Prophet actually encouraged us to try to do that. It's hard sometimes, I understand. Like I'm not saying it's easy. I, I have my own shortcomings, trust me. I'm not here as some kind of holier-than-thou person. But, you know, in the Hadith, when the Prophet says, I promise baitan fi wasat, Another narration, Baytan fi a'la al-jannah biman hassana khulaqa. You know, the hadith says, I promise on the highest levels of paradise for someone who works on improving their character. Right? Hassana means to work on improving. So that means the person, their character may have not been very good, but then they took the time to work on it. And we'll talk about that in our second course when we finish the course we're doing now on Thursdays, our second course will be on character, internal, external character. And of course, the Prophet ﷺ, we believe in, in an axiom of sharia, which by the way would not let, allow a mentally compromised person to get a weapon, um, the sharia that Donald Trump tends to like to attack all the time. Um, but the sharia believes that as a principle, Allah and His Prophet will never ask us to do something beyond our ability. And if it is beyond a person's ability, then it's their excuse for it. This chapter was sent for a number of reasons. And what's awesome about this chapter is you can really infer that the Sahaba were very much a community in the making. Now, oftentimes, I've seen people say, like, you shouldn't talk about mistakes of the Sahaba. Yeah, you should, because we can relate to those mistakes. And we can, like, sometimes find the metal needed down deep to, like, push ourselves better. Not to excuse ourselves, right, but to find commonality between these great people. That even though they made mistakes, and sometimes they had shortcomings, Allah said about them, وَرَضِيَ anhum anhum Allah is pleased with them. Most of the scholars say that this, this as mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari, that this chapter was sent in its initial stages, and this, it's important to remember, sorry, this chapter is sent late in Medina. Some people say like this is one of the last chapters sent. Some people say this is the last whole chapter sent to the Prophet So it's very profound that, like, you know, after 23 years, prophethood, right? More than a hundred chapters have been revealed. The last chapter revealed talks about what? Talks about character. As if to say like, hey, this is the proof of the pudding here. If you say you're a believer, you better make sure you have good character. Not perfect character. And I always say this, and we'll talk about this in the future. Whenever we talk about character and spiritual growth and worship, we have to be careful of the impact of modernity 
on thought. Modernity makes everybody race to Superman or Superwoman. Right? So when we hear like excellence, our idea is like some dude or some woman who like flies in the sky. That's the danger of modernity. Whereas in Islam, when we say excellence, we mean like in the middle. Right? Some kind of practical application. So when we're talking about character here, we need we need to keep it balanced. Right? Not heathenism, but nor utopianism. It's in the middle. You're going to screw up sometimes. You're going to do good sometimes. You know what Imam Ibn al-Ta'ala Skandari says? We're talking about it on Wednesdays at our, or Thursdays at our coffee uh, hour. He says, sometimes God will let you slip to remind you you need him. Like, sometimes you got to slip. Like, if you didn't slip, you might think, like, I'm good. I got Fajr, like, eight days, eight weeks in a row. I ain't missed Fajr once. Next thing you know, I ain't prayed Fajr in, like, a week. What happened? Stop relying on yourself. Right? And that's why they say, Ibn Qayyim said, the worst sin is the sin of an arrogant wali. It means like someone who thinks they're like really there. And the best mistake is the mistake of the sinner who cries to Allah. And because of his or her sins, like, you know what? Like, I really need you. I'm having trouble with this. But this chapter was sent because two of the greatest companions, Abu Bakr and Umar, got into a fight. What? Like Abu Bakr Umar got into it, man. Got into it. And the Prophet Bukhari says, the Prophet he was asking them, who do you suggest for like a leader for this this group of people? And uh, Abu Bakr said, Al-Qa'qa ibn Ma'bad. It's a person named Al-Qa'qa. That was his name. And then the Prophet said, Ya Umar, like, he said, Al-Aqra ibn Habis. Al-Aqra is the second person. Al-Qa'qa, Al-Qa is the first person. They're very interesting names. Man. And then Abu Bakr got heated, man. So after Abu Bakr presented his opinion, Sayyidina Umar presents his opinion, and Abu Bakr gets heated and he says, Ma aratta illa and to khalifni. Abu Bakr said to Umar, May you always say different than me. This is some ratchet, trivial stuff. Like, really? Like that? Like this? Like, you guys are fighting over this? And this is later in the Medina period. And then Sayyidina Umar says, Ma aratta khilafaka. I wasn't trying to differ with you. Well, like. And they start arguing and fighting. In front of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What does that tell us, man? We need to give our community some time to space to be human. And we need to allow our community to like make mistakes. Not allow, but just expect and accept and like try to turn that into moments of growth. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he reveals the first verse of the chapter. There's another narration that says this verse came because on the day of Udhiyah, on the day of Eid, there was a group of people who were so excited that they slaughtered before Eid prayer. So they were like excited. Yeah, we do some awesome. Let's slaughter before Eid prayer. 
And then the Prophet ﷺ, he said to them, you got to do it again. Right? You should have been patient. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the verse, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. The first verse of the 49th chapter. O believers, la tuqaddimu bayna yidayhi lahi wa rasulih wa taqullaha inna allaha sami'un alim. O believers, don't put anything forward in front of Allah and His Messenger. Right? It could be the character that you like slipped and you guys start arguing, fighting, and tripping. And we learn something that's really interesting here. That uh, it could be in doing bad, but also could be in doing good. Right? So, tuqaddimu, putting forward, doesn't just mean doing something evil. It means also like you try to do something good, but you did it what? You did it the wrong way. You did it in haste. That's why Al-Ghazali and most of the great Sufi scholars and their books on Tasawwuf, they always have a chapter on the problem with haste. Like how haste is the sign of a, of a corrupted soul or a soul that has some corruption. Most of them said, and we'll talk about it in the future inshallah, haste is only good in like five or six things. So Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. There's something else, man. Did these people sin? Like either scenario. Sayyidina uh, Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Omar, get into this like fight, an argument in front of Sayyidina Muhammad wasallam, Or those people who like made udhiyah before salah. <laughs> Right, like at night, yo, they were like slaughtering at night before Fajr, man. like making the biha. The question is, are they sinners? Huh? You said no. Okay. Why? Why do you say that? I was just about to ask you when You know, the intention matters, but when you do something wrong, an intention rarely is like used as an excuse. But I see what you're saying. Maybe their intention wasn't. But I mean, obviously Abu Bakr and Omar were like, they just went at it. Like, they started yelling. Mm-hmm. One of the narrations f- says f- the Prophet system was just sitting between them like this. <laughs> and they were just like, going, right? arguing, yelling in front of the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that could be... <coughs> I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Was that before the verse saying don't raise your voices? Yeah, but there's another verse in the Quran that says, you know, don't don't call the Prophet like you call, like you speak to one another, right? It's a very clear, toward the 13th year, right, in Medina, like how you should act with the Sayyidina, the Prophet So obviously they understood pretty much what they shouldn't be doing. Yes? problematic to call them sinners, just that categorization in general um, indicates some type of um, repute. So I, maybe I would say they sin because they're not sinners. Yeah, I mean, semantics aside, right? Although they are sinners. We talked about this on Thursdays. Only the prophets aren't sinners. Um, what we would say is that the Sahaba in general weren't sinners in the riwayat al-Islam. 
in their passing down of the narrations of Dean, but we definitely believe that they can fall into sin. You know, that, that's that's a, a belief that is foundational, right? But out of Adab, I can appreciate uh, where that's coming from. Yes, sir. Someone had their hand up back there. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and here's the point. Our sinners are irredeemable and disposable. No. That, but that's how we treat each other. That's, this is my point. I'm not getting into the issue of aqidah, right? My point is, even though they made these mistakes, what does Allah call them? Believers. And this is a theme that's going to happen over and over and over again in the chapter. If a group of believers kill each other. Right? So what they do? They fought each other, but still Allah calls them what? Believers. I'm not trying to say justifying killing somebody. What I'm saying is if you really like look at the, the context kind of goes to the, maybe the tense of kind of what you're implying is like even though they were making like mistakes Allah still affirms their faith right now sometimes people make mistakes and good things and we go off on them right these are serious issues but still Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ya ayyuhalladhina amanu believers 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 yes sir is there anywhere in the Quran where Allah addresses ya So muslimin is usually as a as a description, as an adjective. But the call interesting would be mu'minun and not muslimin given kind of like being afraid of mistakes or still believing mm -hmm. And belief is, is a is a level which is considered somewhat we'll talk about at the end of the chapter higher than iman. But the point here, these are awesome suggestions, mashallah, is that sometimes man you get down on yourself and you and I may develop like a self a counterproductive approach towards our lives and our mistakes. But here, even in the face of very serious mistakes, Allah calls them believers. And there's really five situations that we'll talk about in this chapter. Number one is our behavior with God and His Prophet. Number two is how do we deal with sinful people? And right? Number three, how do we deal with uh, the believers that are around us, in front of us. Don't bully people. Michelle Obama, man. Right. Number, number four, how do we deal with believers that are, that are not, not, not around us? Backbiting, slandering, um, whatever. And the fifth is, how do we deal with like people in general? Ya Yuhannas. So now you can see like why the chapter is called but like there's a profound sense of rahmah in this chapter man it's very interesting like you're talking about people screwing up you know what I'm saying and still you're saying you're believers you're believers you're believers right even though there's some serious threats <laughs> you know what I'm saying there's, there's this idea of responsibility just a fact like you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cares like looking into their needs 
So it says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. La, oh believers, don't. And amanu actually is a verb. It needs, it needs an object or an object and a preposition, but it's not mentioned. As if to say, Antum amantum bikulli shay. Like you believed in everything. And we said, what does belief mean? We talked about this on Thursdays. It doesn't mean like perfect belief. Right? That's impossible. It means general belief. We believe, uh, all theologians mention this, that it is an obligation on a person to believe in the articles of faith generally, not specifically. You have to know all the theological issues. But the foundations of faith. So it would be enough for a person. And that's why when people would come to the process, they'd be like, I believe in God, I believe in you, I believe in the hereafter. He'd be like, welcome to Islam. He wouldn't be like, but did you know that Imam Razi, <laughs> right? Did you know Imam Ibn Taymiyyah? That stuff came later. But there was a simplicity to this, right? That, that's, that led to sophistication, alhamdulillah. But in the initial entry point into the community, the Prophet did not burden people, right? So we believe that the articles of faith, yajib ala al-Muslim, Ijmalan, meaning like generally. And we shouldn't, and I remember, subhanAllah, in the 90s, man, you go to certain masjids and they'd be like, so what do you believe about this verse, brother? I was like, I don't even know that verse, man. I just became Muslim too. <laughs> what verse is that, man? And they're like, nah, brother, I don't know if you can pray with us because yeah. something wrong. I was like, what are you talking about? La ilaha illallah, And that's what leads to, that benign theology leads to the cancerous ideology of people like ISIS. Because you don't stop, right? And you couple that with current trends in thought in the world, and it becomes like really toxic, and people start getting killed in the name of faith. So, amanu, and usually you might want to remember this when issues of faith are talked about in the Quran, and usually in the Sunnah, they're talked about in a general way. Not specifically. It doesn't mean that we don't have foundations. We have foundations. We talk about them on Thursdays, right? But in general, the entry point into Iman is one of growth, time, nuance, temperance. It takes time. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. O believers. La. La means don't. Tuqaddimu. Tuqaddim has two meanings. One is from a, the form of the word qaddama, which means qaddamtu shay, qaddamtu the phone. If you're sitting next to me, and I said, I'll put this phone in front of us. Qaddamt. Right? The other meaning is tataqaddam. I put myself forward. So both can actually, scholars give two different interpretations here. So one is, Don't put something forward. And again, the object is missing. Why is the object of the verb missing? Because each and every one of us has our own drama, man. Each and every one of us has our own spiritual struggle. And this, uh, I talked about it before, is one of the ways that the Quran stays as a everlasting miracle. And it brings the reader to become an active reader. And that's why the English translation, God bless translators, is very hard to translate. But there should be like a parenthesis there that says like, insert crap here. 
insert your drama here. So la tuqaddimu khamran, sharibu khamr. Like don't put alcohol in front of me. La tuqaddimu qawlan, don't put like bad words or backbiting or slander, maybe I'm struggling with that. La tuqaddimu, don't put like anger in front of Allah and His Messenger. Oh, man, I was angry. That's why I treated people badly. There's another reason that's, that that's not there, as if to say everybody who reads this Qur'an will have some kind of issue that they're struggling with. So we remember like, hey, just as I got issues, like other people got issues too. So Allah says, The other meaning is like what those people did when they slaughtered before the Prophet was like, don't put yourself, like don't be in haste. Be patient, wait to do it right. To race is from Satan. means like if you were sitting right here in front of me and our knees were touching each other. It's very clear, like, of course, they were sitting in the presence of Sayyidina Muhammad but why Allah? We know they're not sitting in the presence of God. God is beyond physical laws. As if to say, like, you know, being in the presence of the Messenger of Allah is a sacred situation. And to disobey the Prophet is like disobeying God. Allah says in the Quran, whoever obeys the Messenger, obeyed me. The other is baini a day. This is really awesome. For you to be baini a day, someone means that there's qaraba. That you have a good relationship with them. Like you're not going to sit unless you're on the subway necessarily, like close to somebody. Unless you have a good relationship with them. So again, the feeling of like, you have this relationship with God. You have this relationship with Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So for the Sahaba who were there, it's literal. Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Umar, you were physically there, Rasulillah. But for those who weren't, and for us, it reminds us that our spiritual relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our spiritual relationship with Sayyidina Muhammad is one of closeness. Allah says, min The Prophet is closer to you than you are to yourselves. And to be near Allah is ihsan. To worship Allah as though you see Him, even though you can't see Him. And ihsan with the Prophet is to follow the Prophet tarahu, as though you see Him, even though you can't see Him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah says, لا تقدموا بين يديه الله ورسوله واتقوا الله. Then Allah says, and fear God. Be dutiful. And what it means here is وَاتَّقُوا Fear Allah. And then again, this takes two objects. The second object isn't mentioned. In whatever issue you got problems with, put it there. So let's say I'm angry or harsh. So don't put that in front of God and His Messenger. وَاتَّقُوا And fear Allah with how you're treating people. إِنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيُونَ Because Allah hears everything you do. He knows everything you do. It's a very beautiful verse, actually. Like, even though it's like checking me, it's like put me in check. 
I'm still close to God. I'm still a believer. Got to work on some things. I'm kind of a work in progress. Alhamdulillah. And he ends it by mentioning two of his attributes. Semi, Ali. We talked about those on Thursday. Then the second verse starts. Here we go. We learn something really profound about da'wah in this verse. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Again, believers, la tarfa'u. Don't raise. Rafa'tu shay. Like I lifted it. I lifted it. La tarfa'u aswatakum. Don't raise your voices. Fawqa sawtin nabi. Don't make your voices louder than the voice of the Prophet. Sorry, And don't and like don't speak to him with words, meaning don't be loud. Jahar means to be loud. La kalami means like yeah, super loud. And don't like speak to him loudly. As you speak to each other. You're playing around, you're loud, like you're tripping, having fun. Maybe insult each other or whatever. Don't do that with the Prophet. <clears throat> Some ulama said this verse means aswatakum like you're just loud in general. It may not be making, you just like making noises. And then kajahdi ba'dikum li how you talk to each other. Don't talk to him like that. Don't use that kind of like harsh language that you may use with one another. Right? Don't speak to each other. Don't speak to him in ways that like you may, as I said, play around, joke, whatever, with him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We learn something here that's lost in today's age, man. Respect for the sacred. Allah says, like, those who honor the sacred things, that's a sign of taqwa. Here's something cool in this verse, man. It's really awesome. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, amanu. Believers. But who, who do you think this verse is really talking to? Who was it that, like, raised their voices in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Omar and Abu Bakr. Why didn't the verse say, Omar and Abu Bakr? Abu Bakr and Omar. Facebook post time. Put you on blast. Call you out. Ah, the fiqh are calling people out. That's another discussion. I, I receive an anonymous message from people I never in my life. We're going to call you out now. Call me out about what? Right, so now it's become like a, a way to extort people. Freak them out about some stuff. Allah says, Yeah, and I went to Imam Khal. I was like, yo, man, I'm getting all... He said, me too. I said, man, what's going on in this world, man? Like, don't get me wrong, there's a time for that. There is a time for that. Right? There's a time for that. But look at this issue. Allah says, Yeah, Believers! He didn't say Abu Bakr and Omar. Why? Gossip, it's not gossip because people saw it, but would it have been productive, man? Yeah. People did see it. People didn't see it, but Allah's not going to gossip. Allah is the truth. No. Yeah. 
but I see what you're saying. Like for us, yeah. but also like, would it have been productive to put them on blast like that? No, because it's a lesson that we all, we can all learn from. Also, all of us do it. Right? Most of us have the same mistakes we all make. We make. But this is a pattern that you find in the Quran and even in Hadith that when people have made like mistakes, the Quran usually is very general. And in the Sunnah, most of the Hadith about major issues, like when people were punished by Islam's penal code, which is rare, but it happened in the time of the Prophet the Sahaba would never mention the name of the person who's being punished. A person came to the Messenger of Allah. A lady came to the Messenger of Allah. Even though they knew those people, there's only about 15,000 Sahabi, 20,000 Sahabi, according to Asiyuti. They knew those people, but they didn't put their names out there like that. So here we see something like, there, there are times, like strategically, where you have to, of course, people need to be put on blast, right? But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like when Sayyidina uh, uh, Rasulullah said to Abdullah ibn Umar, Ya Abdullah ibn Umar, la takun mithla fulanin. Oh, Abdullah ibn Umar, don't be like such and such person who used to pray qiyam and stop praying qiyam. And that's why one of our teachers said, if you delight mentioning the name of a sinner, you're worse than that person. So Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amun. And also to reinforce the fact that even though you did this, you're still believers, still part of the community, still part of this community. And guess what, community? You got people that are like raising their voices in front of the Messenger of Allah. You got people who aren't, meaning there's no like um, mono practice of Islam. We talked about this last week in Surah Al-Fatir. When Allah talks about the Muslims and He says, Three types of Muslims, sinners, those who are struggling between sin and good, and those who their good is more than their sin. Allah still calls them all believers and inheritors of the Prophets. To remind us, right, it's not a monolith. These people are still believers, don't get it twisted. And also, maybe someone saw this or heard this and said, what about Abu Bakr and Umar? I don't know about these guys no more, man. These guys got issues. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. La tarfa'u. They say, la tarfa'a. You too. La tarfa'u. All of you. And also, to make sure that later on in life, that's why most of the ulama said, it's makru to yell and raise your voice in front of the Prophet's grave. Because of this verse. And that's why when some of our teachers used to relate hadith, qala Rasulullah, and some would say, the Messenger of Allah said, they get quiet. Out of like etiquette with this verse. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. La tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi. There's another qira'a. Fawqa sawtin nabi'i. This is warsh al nafi Same meaning. Don't raise your voice in front of the Messenger of Allah. It's interesting also, he didn't say Rasulillah. He said Nabi. The first one is Rasul. The second one he said Nabi. Because the word Rasul brings in the sense of awe. This is a messenger of God, man. So don't put anything in front of that messenger. If you go before the messenger, you got the message wrong. 
But here it's Nabi is the one who informs you. Because if you're talking too loud, you can't what? You can't pay attention to what he's telling you. Also, we learn something else that words are worship. And the Prophet said, Whoever believes in good in Allah in the last days should speak well or remain silent. After this verse was sent down, Abu uh, Umar ibn Khattab had an epiphany, man. That the Prophet would have to turn to him because he couldn't hear him. From that moment onward, Sayyidina Umar would be like, Yo, this messenger. And the Prophet would tell him, like, I can't hear you, man. <laughs> Raise your voice, man. But because he was really worried about this verse. And the verse ends and says, If you don't stop this man, you're gonna we're gonna cancel all your deeds. It's a threat. They took it very seriously. So we learned something like, you know, you have to make sure, I have to make sure if things are counterproductive or productive in the method of da'wah. That's why there's a principle that said, Al-Amiru bil-ma'ruf bil-ma'ruf. Right? You invite to the good in a way that brings good. But if inviting to the good is going to create a greater harm, be quiet. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he allows the guy to urinate in his masjid. We took about 340 legal axioms from that, that narration, man. That's why the Prophet wasallam erases his name on the day of Sulh Hudaybiyah. He understands the outcomes, what are called malat al-af'al. We'll talk about it in Usul al-Fiqh. What are the outcomes of actions? That's why when the Prophet comes to Mecca, after he conquers Mecca and Sahih Muslim, and he says, you know, if it wasn't just these people became Muslim men, I will order that the Kaaba be knocked down and rebuilt on the foundations of Sayyidina Ibrahim. He understands, like, this may be counterproductive. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How do you deal with a person like, yo, I'm about the haq, it's about the truth, it's about the truth, I just got to do the truth. They have no wisdom in their truth. Well, if you have no wisdom in your truth, your truth will become falsehood. When Sayyidina Imam al-Amalik was asked by somebody a question, and he gave an answer, Question is a long question, we'll talk about it in fiqh. And then he was asked the same question by someone else, and he would say to them, Antim na'i bilad. Like, where are you from, man? I'm from, he's like, no, 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 my answer is different for you. Because he understands the outcomes and potential dangers of just giving people answers. That's why internet fatwa can be a problem, because it's like a physician not looking at the patient, not understanding what's going on. So here we find something very profound that the Prophet and we're going to get to the fifth verse, it'll become even clearer. There's not always one answer for everybody, man. So let's say, like, you know, you're in a gathering and a sheikh is reading a hadith, and there's some dude who's been like a student of sacred knowledge for like 15 years, and he starts talking and like looking at Kyrie, you know, doing what Kyrie does, which is owning everybody. And then, you, you know, you're like, maybe I shouldn't correct him because he's like, you know, he's. No, that's the person you should say, like, put your phone away, dude. But then there's, like, someone else. You never met them before. You don't know them. Someone else may be, like, a new Muslim. 
and they're like talking and they're sitting like this and stuff. You know what I mean? You're going to go in on them and start attacking them like that guy? Is that going to be productive? Or maybe you should like get to know that person, take them out to eat, spend some time with them, build with them, and then slowly exchange. You learn and they learn. I have a problem when people say, I need to teach converse. No, you need to learn too. Because they have experiences that you never had. I need to teach these sisters. You need to learn from women too. I need to teach this brother. Okay, but y'all learn from each other too. Whenever you walk into a relationship and you tell yourself, I'm just teaching, then you need to walk out of that relationship. Because that's a sense of privilege and arrogance that doesn't agree with prophetic morality. The last thing the prophet said to the Sahaba as a community is, did I teach you right? It wasn't like, yeah, I laid it out. And then he said, Allah mashhad, oh Allah, witness what they said. Public sanctioning. So here Allah says, Then suddenly the chapter switches. And it addresses a phenomena that happened in Medina. Yes? Is there any narration as to what the Prophet said at that moment? That they were arguing in front of him? Or did this come later? Ah, that's a good question. What did the Prophet say? Like, what would we say? You know, people start arguing in front of you at work or whatever. You know, you might lose your t temper, like lose your patience. And be like, y'all need to stop tripping. Why didn't the prophet say anything? He remained quiet. There's no narration that the prophet said anything. Yes, sir. Because if he said something, they would have not listened because they would laugh. So one is they've been wasted time because they're like they're loud, and the prophet is not going to model bad behavior. He's not going to get loud with them. That's a good point. What else though? This always happens, right? Allah says the prophet yastahi. The prophet is shy from you. Allah is not shy. Most people went into his house and they wouldn't leave. He just sits there like doesn't say anything. Why? Whenever something has to do personally with the prophet, he takes it. But when it has to do with the vulnerable, other people, issues of faith, issues of practice, he speaks out. Patience. Patience. That's good. What else, though? Like, if the prophet came out and was like, man, why are you guys always talking in front of me? He'd be the same as them. Not only that, but like, he may appear what? Like, like arrogant, or like there's some kind of investment in this for me. So that's why Ar-Razi said something powerful, Imam Alusi also, that when it comes to the Prophet, Allah always speaks on his behalf. Because of his character. Like, I don't want, I don't want people to think that I have any type of personal investment in this here, man. But there's any self-interest. So I'm going to take it. Then Allah will speak on his behalf. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then the context of the chapter switches. We learn something here. I just alluded to it. The, the dynamic nature of, of dawah, the dynamic nature of you know, engaging people, um, and also in dealing with ourselves. Allah says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُنَادُونَكَ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْحُجُرَاتِ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ But before that he says, this always happens. After pounding people, 
Quran's like, we're gonna cancel all your deeds. Uh, Park, uh, Omar's like, <laughs> he really reacts to this. It's <laughs> scary, man. Then Allah always gives people hope. Those people who lower their voices in the presence of the Prophet. These are those that Allah has tested their hearts so that their hearts can achieve taqwa. You lose something in the translation. It's called lamu ta'alib. Like that is the, the outcome of being able to do that is taqwa. That's a sign of taqwa. To be humble. Right? Not to think and ask questions. We, we should not uh, remember everything's in the middle. Right? But at the end of the day, I want to know what the Prophet's guidance is on an issue. I'm going to defer to the Prophet. <laughs> For them is a great forgiveness and ajr azim. Most scholars said is Jannah. So, like, there's hope. Like you can change yourself, man. You can do this. Like you can lower your voice, right? I'm gonna inspire you to do better. And then suddenly the chapter switches to a different situation. When Banu Tamim came to Medina, who were Banu Tamim? Banu Tamim were hood, man. They were like country folks. So whichever cultural narrative you come out of, they were either like hillbillies from Oklahoma, or they were just like people that were just like, they were just real. And they were new Muslims. And they, they actually have their own language, their own lahja. Arabs, they say the name of the woman, Hadami, they say Hadamu, Qadat Hadamu, Ja'at Hadamu. Banu teams like, we got our own language. Qadat Hadami, Ja'at Hadami, Ra'itu Hadami. You don't understand this, but I'm saying they have their own language, man. They're like, we're different than all you. They're very interesting people. They became Muslim. When Banu Tamim became Muslim, it, it was like huge. Like, they became Muslim? Banu Tamim? Oh, wow. Islam's the truth. It has to be a truth now. And that's why you should really, when you read the seerah, you know, the seerah that you get in English has been really, really stripped of some of the important qualities of it. Where like, what was the reaction? People, like, I think like today marks the anniversary when Ma Magic Johnson came out and said he had eight, October seventh, nineteen ninety one, or November seventh, right, nineteen ninety one. But I tell people like, Magic become a Muslim, uh, coming out with AIDS is like Omar announcing he was a Muslim. Like it's an impact that had on people. Like wow, like Omar's Muslim. You heard about it? Press conference earlier today. Like that's how we should be reading the Sira. Right, we should be understanding the sirah when we do sirah here. It's going to be very different. I'm going to put you guys in cooperative groups, and you're going to apply the sirah to Manhattan and to the Bronx and to Brooklyn and to Harlem, to where you live, New Jersey. God forgive you, wherever you live, you're going to apply that into that situation. Like, is it really possible that you read the story of the stone and don't value community organizing? Like, is it really possible that you read the story of the Owls and Khadraj and don't understand the problem of gang violence in America? Like, where is the application of the seerah in daily life? So Banu Tamim becomes Muslim. It's like, what? There were like mixtapes dropped about this, but they were poets.
Like it hit the streets. Like, man, Banu Tamim are Muslim. The whole freaking tribe. And they come to Medina, and people are like, oh my God. Banu Tamim's on the way. Just get ready. They're tough. They're hillbilly people, man. Oklahoma. And they come in the middle of the night. Everybody's sleeping. So they ask. And they were like, how come no one greeted us? <laughs> right? We became Muslim now. No more dope game. Like, Pac. <laughs> Greet us. We're bad to me. Like, this is how it is. It's not like, I'm so grateful to be Muslim. Alhamdulillah. Such a blessing to be here at Isna this year and talk about my conversion story. <laughs> nah, man. It wasn't, that's not how it went down. They show up in Medina like, yeah, Islam is lucky. <laughs> Seriously, man. That's why Allah says, He's talking to them. And they go to the Prophet Ali's apartment and start yelling his name as loud as they can at 2 o'clock in the morning. To the point where people in Medina, when you go to Medina and you see the masjid, you'll see that white tile. That was the whole city. That's like how big it was. Like Abu Bakr's house was in the masjid now. Like, you know what I'm saying? And you, if I was with you, but unfortunately I'm not going. Mm -hmm. You can see the markings of where their homes were. The Ottomans put like a site map in the top of the mosque. Hopefully they won't destroy it. Um, that tells you where people's houses were. The whole circumference of the Kaaba is where the whole city is. That white tile on the outside of the masjid in Medina, Masjid Nabawi, it was the city. So, they come there. It's not a big place. They start yelling the Prophet's name. And it's not like, Ya Fadirat Rasulullah, Ya Sayyidul Kawnain. Ain't none of that happening. They're just yelling his name. So Allah says, Inna ladhina yunadunaka min wara'i hujarati akhtaruhum la yaqilun. Those people that call you, yunadunak, they call you from behind your apartments. Most of them have no sense. <laughs> that should be translated, right? Most of them don't know much. Can we learn something too? One of our major principles of Islam is to excuse people because of ignorance. Unlike now, we see people punished for their ignorance. Right? Especially if you look at kind of the far right. Any news on that Virginia election yet? Gubernatorial election in Virginia, that's very important. Right? They blame people for being ignorant. They blame people for poverty. Islam excuses people. Right? Not to the point that it, it gives them like an alibi to continue, but in the initial stages of emergent literacy and emergent education and emergent growth, you excuse people as they grow. Allah says, Why is it? Aql deals with cognitive growth. Sabr deals with taskeet and nafs. So they lack both. They lack, you know, basic knowledge of Islam at an intellectual level, but they also lack spiritual, a spiritual education. So we learn something from these two verses that Islam focuses on the heart and the mind, and the mind and the heart. Allah increased me in knowledge. Success is the one who purifies his or her heart. 
So Allah says, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ صَبَرُوا If they had been patient, there's a qira, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ صَبَرُوا حَتَّى تَخْرُجَ إِلَيْهِمْ If they had been patient until you came out to them. لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ That patience would have been better for them than yelling and like, you know, making a scene. Here's a question. What did Abu Bakr and Umar do? What did they do? Why was the chapter sent? What did they do in front of the Prophet They raised their voices. What did Banu Tamim do as a whole community? But what does Allah say to them? Allah is forgiving. Wallahu ghafurur rahim. He didn't say to them, we will cancel all your deeds. They're like, we ain't done nothing yet. We just became Muslim. <laughs> what are you going to cancel? So here we see something that Islam takes into consideration people. It doesn't treat people, like I said earlier, as a monolith. Abu Bakr and Omar, Omar and Abu Bakr, you guys know better. That's why Allah says to the Prophet's wives, Lastunna, you're not like other women. Meaning, you're, you live with him. Like, you know how, that, how he acts. You know the life that you are experiencing with him is different than someone who's not around him, doesn't have that opportunity to see that. So we're going to differ with you a little. We're going to engage you a little differently. We learn something about, like, the dynamics of policy of institution, dynamics of policy of the imam, dynamics of the policy of faith providers, the dynamics of the policy of the community to treat people like where they are, man. Not just to hammer them. It doesn't mean now that we lower standards, but we understand that people are in different places when they're trying to reach standards. So Allah says to Abu Bakr and Umar, and tahbata amalukum antum we're going to cancel everything you did. To these Bedouins who did the same thing, wallahu ghafuru rahim. Allah's forgiven. So alhamdulillah, we, we took now the first, I think, five verses of Surah Al-Hujurat. The first verse talks about how we engage God in His Messenger. That means learning and practice, right? Asking questions, being inquisitive. You know, someone told me last week, last Thursday basically was like question hour, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was good though. And someone came like, man, never, I, like, this is cool. I said, yeah, this is like how it should be. This is how people should be. You know, let, learn from people. You guys ask questions, I'll learn from you. Right? I, I grow, you grow. Like that's the reciprocation. Right? The Prophet is such a great teacher that at times you may find him sitting in front of the students, but at the end he's sitting where the students are. Right? He, it, it shifts. Alayhi salatu And then we said the idea of akhlaq and, and, and engaging Allah, his Prophet, the believers, the sinners, the believers in their absence and humanity. This chapter touches on. And we talked about Abu Bakr and Umar and the idea of like, man, people make mistakes, man. Right, and having a community that we don't we don't allow sinful behavior to behavior to become the norm. Right, but we recognize that people are sinful. That's very different, and that that's just a product of our humanity. When the Prophet said, "Kullu bani Adam everybody makes mistakes. And then we talked about the engagement and dynamics of da'wah, understanding where people are, and what are some things we should think about. Like before we go and start telling people like what to do, man, we should get to know them, man. Like build a relationship with them. 
Once I was in Egypt, I took this taxi with this guy. I should write a book, Mudhakkarati My days with taxi drivers. These are cool stories, man. And this guy was taking me to Friday prayer. So he, I, I was reading this book. He said, who wrote that book? I said, Imam Suyuti. Imam Jalaluddin Suyuti is like a famous scholar. He died 9-11 Hijri. He said to me, he said, that guy, he gives khutbahs in Zamalek. I said, man, this dude died like oh, a thousand freaking years ago, man. And then he said to me, he said, you're not good. I'm, at least I know. He said, you know how many hours a day I have to work in this taxi? I said, I have no idea. He said, brother, I barely see my kids. And he said, life in Egypt is hard. Like, you need to understand. Like, we don't have time to read right now. You know what I mean? Then I was, able, I was like, yeah, you're right. I made a mistake. Like, I should be able to appreciate where you're coming from, but I don't even know you. So I said, hey, man, tell me about your life. So then like, we had this really cool conversation. Then I felt like, you know what, if I knew what I knew now, I would never have said, like, I'd just be like, you know, he passed away like, a few days ago or something. <laughs> but the point was, I didn't know him. So we got to build with people, right? And then secondly is to make sure, like, that's the right time and place. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. Like, now people come in here, they usually come from work. Like, you know what kind of day they had at work? Is that really the best time to like start going in on someone or trying to teach someone? So I'll stop here, inshallah. If you have any questions, we can take them.